We read from Jeremiah 31, verses 33 to 34, page 793 in the Church Bibles. This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbour or a man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Today's reading um, is Luke 22, verses 14 to 20 which can be found on your church Bible on page 1058. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, He gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Heavenly Father, we do ask that you would speak to us this morning. That your life would fill our lives. And that your Holy Spirit would minister to each of our needs. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, um, if you've been seeing in the news this week, you may have seen pictures of the Princess of Wales who uh, made her first visit to the first The Queen's Dragoon Guards uh, after uh, after being appointed as Colonel-in-Chief back in August. This was her first visit, and uh, some of the papers and various media outlets were full of photographs and video segments of her uh, either driving or climbing into or or climbing off um, uh, this Jackal 2 armoured vehicle. Of course, this is not the first time uh, that members of the royal family have been photographed getting into or out of uh, vehicles. Um, It was, was, uh, I think, over 20 years ago now when the Times newspaper ran a photograph of the late Queen's sister. Uh, She had just recovered from a minor illness herself, and the caption uh, read the following, Princess Margaret is looking much better as she leaves hospital. So... Simple picture. The issue was that the the news cycle sort of moved forward and the second edition of the paper uh, that went to press, uh, the story instead was replaced with a different one, one of a naked protester getting pictured, getting into a taxi with, uh, should we say, their buttocks showing and their undercarriage somewhat visible. Now, unfortunately for the royal family, uh, someone forgot to change the caption. 
And so this picture of this person getting into a taxi with VRN showing ran with the tagline, Princess Margaret looking much better as she leaves hospital. Quite embarrassing, quite humiliating. Um, learning of the mistake, the Times Royal Correspondent quickly picked up the phone to Buckingham Palace to offer a groveling apology, thinking that's it, his time is done, the biggest faux pas, only to be told, yeah, you would be in huge trouble, but Princess Philip found it hilarious. <laughs> now, this is a light-hearted illustration of what is a serious subject that we're looking at today, uh, and that the nation remembers today, that of suffering and self-sacrifice. Now, Princess Margaret suffered some degree of embarrassment and humiliation at the hands of the press, but that is nothing compared to the suffering and the loss that war brings in its wake. It, uh, to see the, the Princess of uh, Wales, um, uh, Kate or Catherine, pictured in full camouflage gear is a timely reminder of the ever-present reality of war across the world. And looking around us today, many of us are wearing poppies, and we've got our poppy wreaths uh, at our war memorial plaques and at the front. Um, and of course, poppies are not a fashion accessory, uh, nor are they uh, an expression of our Britishness. They're not a call to arms. Instead, they are a cry of outrage against the senseless slaughter and suffering that war brings, and a commitment never to let it happen again. And today, the nation remembers and honors those who suffered and who paid the ultimate price for our freedom. And in our gospel reading this morning, we find Jesus himself, God himself, is not aloof from these levels of suffering. He could have remained God in heaven above it all, you know, not experiencing the injustices of this life. And yet in Jesus, he came firsthand and entered into our world of suffering and was willing to lay down his life that we might live. Today, we remember those who laid down their lives to win for us freedom from tyranny and oppression. It's scary, isn't it, to think of if those sacrifices hadn't been made, what kind of world we would be living in today. But today we also remember Jesus, who won for us an even greater victory. Jesus, who himself paid the ultimate sacrifice, so that whoever places their trust in him can be free. Free not just to live in a world where we can live with democratic values, but free from the chains of sin and free from even death itself. In our opening verse to our gospel reading that Sam uh, read to us, we hear the words of Jesus as he looks forward and anticipates his suffering. And in these words, we capture a glimpse of what he must have been feeling at that moment. And the scene itself is taught with emotion. They're huddled together in the upper room. He's surrounded by his closest friends, and Jesus is sharing what he knows to be his final meal. And he says this, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. He knows he's about to suffer. 
For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds its fulfillment in the kingdom of God. He knows he's going to suffer. He knows it's his last meal. He's surrounded by his friends. He's aware of what is to come. And as we think about this, I can't help but remember what those brave World War I troops must have felt like in the, in the Battle of the Somme. You know, huddled together the night before, they know that that whistle is going to blow. And they, too, are being called over the top to face what must have been certain death. And like those brave troops in the Battle of the Somme, we can only imagine what Jesus must have felt like as he shared his last supper with his closest friends. Death is death. And in a world marred with suffering and heartbreak, we can take comfort from the fact that God doesn't stand above suffering. He enters into it with us. And if you are suffering today, know that God is alongside you. He is suffering with you. God came in the person of Jesus and experienced firsthand the cruelty of death, the pain of betrayal, and the weight of human suffering. And so let me ask you this question. How would you want to be remembered? How would you want to be remembered? That was a question uh, that earlier this week, someone was sharing with me that this question, when asked them, had made a huge difference in how they'd lived their life. Because often many of us just get on and suddenly it's Monday morning and then it's Tuesday and then it's Wednesday and it's the weekend and we breathe and then it's Monday and we never actually pause to ask that question. How would we want to be remembered? And this person was asked this question. At your funeral, what would you want your friends, your family, your spouse, your children, to say of you. And they shared how it really helped them to discern their priorities, their mission in life, and to live intentionally in light of that priority. Now let's think for a moment about Jesus. How do you think Jesus would have wanted to have been remembered? Think about all that Jesus did. He healed the sick. He cared for those that are brokenhearted. He raised the dead. He taught things that have never been surpassed. How do you think Jesus wanted to be remembered? How do you think he lived his life with his mission in mind? Well, our passage tells us how he wanted to remember. He's given his disciples in this passage instructions for his own memorial service. And what is interesting is that of all the amazing things that Jesus did and that we remember, his teachings, his miracles, his, his amazing character, none of these are the primary way in which he wished to be remembered. Rather, he tells his disciples that he wants to be remembered by his death. He wants to be remembered by his death. That his, his desire is from one generation to the next, throughout all of time, he wanted them to eat bread and drink wine in remembrance of him. And that bread wouldn't stand for his living body, it would stand for his sacrifice, his broken body upon the cross. And that wine wouldn't shed, uh, that would stand not for this blood pumping through his body, but the blood that was shed 
upon the cross. In other words, it would be his death that he wanted to be remembered uh, in both the bread and the wine. And he says this in verse 19, and he took bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and he gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And that's why if you go to churches, whatever kind of churches they may be, we've got lots of different types of churches in our land and in other countries and across the world and back in history, you will find often these words being shared at communion. Every time we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Because friends, the truth is that Jesus is alive. But in communion, we remember his death. By his death, his literal breaking of his body, that is how Jesus wished to be remembered. His body was given for you. His blood was shed for you. And that is, that is how Jesus wants to be remembered. That is why it's quite bizarre in a way that we've got a symbol of execution on our wall. The cross. It's, it's upon thousands, millions of churches. This is how Jesus wants to remember. Because Jesus' death achieved something objective for us. There was a real change in the makeup of the cosmos. This isn't a warm, fuzzy feeling inside us. Jesus' death upon the cross achieved something that changed something forever for all those who place their trust in him. You see, Jesus' death frees us from the slavery of sin and the fear of death because death has been defeated and sin no longer has claim over us. Followers of Jesus are free and we can face eternity without fear. How? Because of what Jesus' death upon the cross achieved for us. Looking back now at World War II, we've looked at World War I and the Battle of Somme, but what about World War II? Well, in World War II, there was a really famous battle called the Battle of Kahima. Uh, and at this battle, our troops were outnumbered 10 to 1. And they were facing the Japanese Imperial Army. And this army had never, ever been beaten in combat. And we were facing them outnumbered 10 to 1. And on the 6th of April, 1944, so just a few days after Alan's 12th birthday that we just had up here at the front, 15,000 fighting men of the Japanese Imperial Army laid siege on a single brigade of British and Indian troops at the Kahima foothills in the Himalayas. At the time, there was this uh, British commander, Bill Slim, uh, who knew that his garrison could not hold back the Japanese on their own. And so he sent word for reinforcements. However, he was told that reinforcements would take at least a week for them to reach him, for another division to reach him. So he dug in, yeah, and they stood their ground despite being extremely outnumbered. And General Slim told his troops these words, you can win, the Japanese can be defeated, and you will be the ones to do it. But in time... As you can imagine, their perimeter began to collapse bit by bit. And the distance between um, the opposing trenches were reduced and reduced and reduced until they stood just 100 yards apart. 
the Japanese led wave upon wave of charges against the last remaining British troops across at what this point was the tennis courts of the governor's residence. And then, on the 18th of April, 12 days after the siege began, and just hours away from being completely overrun by the Japanese artillery, the long-awaited 2nd Division was heard across the valley. And this is how someone accounts it. One veteran recounts this moment. He said, it was like music to my ears. I even feel emotional thinking about it now. Now, the impact of their sacrifice was profound. Never before had the Japanese ever been stopped. And yet a single battalion of British troops had halted their advance. And in just over a month, the Japanese had completely withdrew. Now, the sacrifice that General Slim's, truth, uh, General Slim's troops paid was hugely costly. It cost them their lives. But ultimately, they were successful in holding back the offensive. Now, in countless acts of remembrance across our nation this morning, we will hear these words, which are taken directly from the memorial stone that marks those who gave their lives at this battle of Kahima. You've probably heard them read many times before. When you go home, tell them of us and say, for your tomorrow, we gave our today. Real troops laid down their lives. These and many others, we remember today that they laid down their lives that we might have freedom. And their sacrifice and the victory that they won point beyond themselves to an even greater sacrifice, Jesus, who didn't lay down his lives for his nation. He laid down his lives for his enemies, that they might have eternal life. He gave his life that we might share eternity with him. And so we come to our closing verse in our gospel reading, verse 20. Jesus says this, In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup, is the new covenant in my blood, the new promise in my blood, which is poured out for you. Jesus', Jesus death upon the cross ushered in a new era, a new covenant, a new promise, a new relationship between God and humanity. And it was through the shedding of Jesus' blood that this new covenant was established. This new covenant was promised through that Old Testament um, passage that um, Carol read to us earlier. Let me read it to you again. What is this new promise that Jesus' death ushered in for us? Let's read it again. This is the covenant that I will make with my house, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sins no more. Of all the greatest promises of the new covenant it was the forgiveness of sins that Jesus points us to that when we come to Christ the Savior our wrongdoings are wiped clean our sins 
are remembered no more, and we are at one with God who created us. Through Jesus' self-sacrifice, God is bringing together God and humanity, reconciling us. There's forgiveness, and there's freedom, and it's available for all who are willing to place their trust in him. And it costs Jesus his life. It costs Jesus his life, and he offers it to you today. And so as, 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 as people, how will we respond to this glorious offer of forgiveness and freedom? Well, some of us maybe want to respond to that for the first time today. Others of us have actually responded already and have accepted that daily cleansing, that daily freedom and forgiveness. Well, Jesus shared a life of self-sacrificing, bringing reconciliation to a broken and hurting world. And so, as Christians, we too are called to lay aside our own self-interests and to bring peace where there is division uh, and, and comfort where there is suffering and hope to a hurting world. And as we look around the world today, we are all too aware of the ongoing war in Ukraine, the Israel-Hamas war, and the other conflicts that are happening across the world, and the division and unrest that's actually happening even within our own country. And so as followers of Jesus, how are we meant to respond to these wars and to conflict and this division? Well, first, we must condemn all evil acts of terror and war. Those include the, 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 the killing, the needless killing of civilians, kidnapping, the murder of women, men, and children. We, we must also grieve. We must grieve with those who are suffering. We, we should look around us and extend God's compassion to any within our community who have had loved ones affected by these conflicts. And friends, we must pray. We must pray for those who are suffering we must pray for a de-escalation of violence. We must pray for peace. And we must lift the nations experiencing conflict to God, asking that God would heal those who mourn and to give his mercy, his justice, and his peace to all who are affected by these conflicts. And finally, not only should we grieve, not only should we condemn evil, not only should we pray, but we should also examine our own hearts and work in our own lives for peace and justice in our everyday lives. Because every single day, we have opportunities, both big and small, to create a better world in our workplaces, in our communities, through political action, through even our shopping choices. We have the opportunity to make a difference. Through the words that we share, through the words that we type on social media, we can either bring division or we can bring reconciliation and peace. And so let us end with these words from another prophet, the prophet Micah, chapter 6, verse 8. The prophet asks this question, what does the Lord require of you? And this is the answer, to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And so we're going to stand, we're going to pray, and then we're going to have our final song before we move into our act of remembrance. Let's stand to pray.